Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear. You guys know I love my NBA. And there's no better place to get into the action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. When you win, you get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay, and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So, download the FanDuel app today using promo code BOXING. Start making every moment more. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right. Playing hurt today. Welcome in, by the way. Boxing with Chris Mannix. Part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. Joined this week by two of my favorite boxing writers, Jake Donovan, Corey Urban, both writers over at Boxing Scene. And fellas, I am coming to you from my living room, or my office, I should say, and I have a big giant boot on my left foot because x-rays revealed that I had a small fracture in my talus bone in my foot. So I knew something was wrong this uh, last week, really. But I also knew I had to walk the red carpet for the Creed 3 premiere, had to walk the red carpet. Clearly, that that movie could not go on without my presence. So I just put off the doctor's appointment till Tuesday, knowing that whatever the news was going to be, it wasn't going to be good. Put on my shoe, took a bunch of Tylenol, <laughs> muscled through it, and uh, yesterday, or Tuesday, I should say, got the bad news that uh, I'll be in a boot for six weeks. So when I am on air... Uh, on March 18th for the Gabe Rosado, Gilberto Ramirez tilt in Southern California. Uh, from the feet down, I will be in, or from the knee down, I will be with a boot on my left foot. So 
I just watched, this is my dedication, Jake, to this podcast that I am playing hurt, playing through pain in this one. I, I got to say, listen, I have experience in this realm. I've, I have called a fight, several fights with a boot on before. And my first date with my now wife was also in a boot. So I think there's hope for you, Chris. Some good things can come out of this era. That's very, very descriptive, Corey. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, well, a lot to get into, guys. I do want to talk about a couple of the events of this past week and a couple of other things coming up, plus the future of PBC. Uh, Steven Espinoza, the president of Showtime Sports, he joins me a little bit later in the show, and we address some of those topics. But I want to start uh, with the topic that makes the boxing purist cry. Jake Paul, the now once-beaten professional boxer, 6-1 and one after his decision to defeat to Tommy Fury over in Saudi Arabia. Uh, close fight, uh, competitive fight, uh, not too you know, criticize any of my fellow broadcasting peers, but I don't think it was a high-level fight by any stretch. That that was sloppy, and the one knockdown had as much to do with the ring apron being slippery in that one spot as it did a power punch uh, from Jake Paul. So, uh, Jake Donovan, we'll start with you. Uh, you're impressed with the fight. Did it go how you expected? Did anything surprise you? What were your takeaways from Paul Fury Part 1? Part one, exactly. Um, well, I will say, look, I was on record saying I thought Jake Paul was going to win. So people were clowning Tommy Fury for celebrating as if he won. You know, he he matched Tyson Fury's achievement winning the heavyweight championship. This is his heavyweight championship. This is the biggest fight he is ever going to win. Maybe he goes on to beat a KSI or another YouTuber. This is his level. So um, th- that's really the only aspect that surprised me. Um, I, I don't know if Tommy was at his best. I don't know. To me, it kind of looked like Jake was at his worst. So that did surprise me a little bit. I always said, even I was ringside for, I think all three of us were ringside for his pro debut three years ago. And I always said that he was going to evolve to be far among, you know, the best YouTubers that he he couldn't compete on that circuit because he was too good. So this was like the first time we saw him take a step backwards, I thought. Maybe with the first Tyron Woodley fight. But this one in particular, um, it, it was still competitive though. So, you know, the dare was go fight a pro boxer. He fought a pro boxer. I don't think there's a case for him to have won the fight. I was a little surprised that it was a split decision, but not really because it's boxing. I thought Tommy Fury did clearly win, but it, it was competitive. So um, I, I didn't think he disgraced himself in any regard. It just, you know, I think all three of us can agree. It just wasn't, I guess it was entertaining in its own way, just not in the sense of an entertaining boxing match. Corey, what'd you think? Yeah, I, I thought that this was, you know, a, a good competitive uh, club level boxing match, which is not like to coming from me, that is not a pejorative in any way. Like I, as, as I wrote about on boxing scene.com, uh, this is like Jake Paul is probably in, I would say like the top 50% of active boxers globally, right? Like the, the, the boxing that we tend to see on the major broadcast outlets here is like the top 5% of boxers globally, you know, maybe 10%. Um, and, and some guys will kind of slip in here and there on, on the undercards. But for Jake Paul to have taken up the sport three years ago and to be able to compete with someone like Tommy Fury, who has boxed his entire life, is, as, as I wrote, probably at this point, kind of like a, a UK area level title contender type guy right now. He probably wouldn't win a European title today, but maybe that's kind of like a ceiling that he could aim for. Might might even be too high. But even for Paul to compete with someone like that is still impressive. Now, people don't want to talk about that too much because it's a lot more fun to clown Jake Paul. And quite frankly, there's probably more currency in clowning Jake Paul. But 
for what this boxing match was, it was a competitive club level boxing match on the biggest possible stage that you could put something like that. Jake, does you know the outcome of a fight usually dictates whether or not there'll be a rematch. Now, Jake Paul does have a rematch clause. I don't know what the appetite would be for a country like Saudi Arabia or another Middle Eastern location to put on a rematch. Let's be real. That's where most of the money came from for this fight. The big purses both of them got. It obviously generates some money on pay-per-view. Probably a lot more money on pay-per-view in the UK than it did in the US given the timing of it. And 50 bucks is pretty expensive for like a 5 o'clock Eastern time uh, main event. So, uh, do you, are you expecting there to be a rematch? I mean, Jake Paul said we're going to run it back, and if there is, A, is there a chance the outcome could be different, and B, is there going to be, do you think, an appetite for it? I do think the outcome can be different. Uh, the appetite, that that depends. Maybe there'll be one, you know, there's an audience that wants to see if Jake Paul can overcome, you know, adversity. Um, to me, I always felt like he was playing with house money anyway. I don't think the law, maybe we'll get into this later, but I don't think the loss necessarily hurts him. Most people tend to why he has the Floyd Mayweather effect, except on a much lower, lower level where people just kind of watch to see him lose. They, you know, they pay to, you know, that he always gets booed everywhere he goes. So I think there's always going to be that interest in his career. Um, Tommy Fury, I don't see why he wouldn't take it. You know, especially, you know, I mean, if he's enforced, my curiosity is where it lands. It obviously can't take place in the US. You know, the Fury family has a lot to figure out in that regard. So it Tyson could fight wherever he wants. Tommy is limited. And outside of a Jake Paul rematch, he's not going to make a lot of money unless he fights someone like KSI. So he's going to have to push all in for that. Um, I, I just don't know. It, it seemed, you know, it was, everyone was certainly watching on Sunday, you know, so. You know, people do pay attention when Jake Paul fights, but we kind of seen it. It's like, I don't know, you know, it's that it like even like with Paul and Woodley, I thought the rematch was far less watchable up until that sensational knockout that saved it up until then. That that fight was, in my opinion, horrible. So I, I just don't know if anything could change from the first fight other than, you know, a better condition, Jake Paul, which obviously, you know, probably would lead to a win. Corey, does does Jake Paul, you know, need to, quote, avenge this loss to continue to be as marketable as he once was to Jake's point. Like if you're Jake Paul, there's just as much, if not more money in you fighting Nate Diaz. There's just as much, if not more money in you fighting KSI. You've got a lot of options in the crossover community that could make you a very rich man, but does he need to you know, go back and do fury again before he moves on to something like that? Because people like Eddie Hearn have suggested don't do it, Jake. Don't go back in with Tommy Fury. Fight KSI next. If you can make a deal with Nate Diaz or some other ex-UFC star, go ahead and do it. Uh, does he need to go back and do that? Well, I think to keep the same ceiling that maybe he thought he had, both in terms of the amount of dollars he could possibly make and also where he thinks he will wind up as a professional boxer, I think the answer to that is yes. And to Jake's point, colleague Jake's point, uh, I think that there is room for improvement with Jake Paul still, right? There's more room for him to improve than there probably is for Tommy Fury. But uh, as my other colleague, uh, Chris Algieri, said on his podcast, he thinks that Tommy Fury beats Jake Paul 10 out of 10 times because the, the experience gap is, is just too wide. And no matter what, you know, Tommy will, will continue improving just enough to always stay ahead of Jake Paul. Um, so there's that. But I do think that there's, there's also kind of, there's that plan B for Jake Paul, which is faded, uh, facing the KSIs, which is going back to the, you know, the kind of faded MMA fighter circuit. And there will continue to be a market for that. It might be a smaller market because I think that there are, there's a group of people 
that are now that we're tuning in that we're hate watching that are now satiated because they saw Jake Paul lose. There's a, a still though a big group of people that want to see him lose worse. Uh, and there's still a very big group of people that love Jake Paul, right? Like his audience isn't just haters. There are people that really adore this person and will continue to face him. So, or will continue to, to tune in to watch him, but he can always go to the other side. And by the other side, I mean, kind of that, the pure influencer circuit, the KSI side of the road, which is kind of opting out of being true pro boxers, right? The KSI's fights aren't on box rack. They're not trying to oversell what they are they're just selling grudge matches between influencers and as long as he's okay with going and doing that that is still there for him and it will still be wildly profitable you know jake i get Corey's point and chris algeri's point to a degree but i don't i don't agree with chris with uh the chris algeri statement that tommy fury would win 10 out of 10 times like th- that that Tommy Fury won that fight. I, I scored it for him. I agree with you. I don't think it should have been a split decision. He, he should have won that fight by a point or two. But, like, Jake can get a little bit better, as he has in virtually every one of his fights. That was the best I've seen Tommy Fury look. And I've seen, yeah. you know, three or four of his fights live, either in person or on TV. Um, yeah. I, I think Jake can absolutely improve to the point where he can win a decision against Tommy Fury. I think he came into that fight thinking Tommy wouldn't be able to take the overhand right. Well, Tommy was prepared for the overhand right. And when he did get caught with some shots, he took them because he's younger, fresher, he's got a real chin. That's what happens. I think if Jake's smart, and he is, he goes back in the gym, makes some adjustments, maybe comes out as more of a boxer in the next time. That, to me, is the intrigue. I, it, because I, I, I don't believe it's an unwinnable fight for Jake Paul. In fact, I think it's very winnable if he changes some of his game plan and fights a different way. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, to your point, like, it was almost to the point where he was kind of telegraphing that we kept saying everyone reported it, you know, that that's his money punch. Tommy Fury knew that was coming. And Jake Wolf, sure enough, he threw it. And Tommy Fury was prepared for it. I mean, I even joked, I think it was when Fury fought Anthony Taylor. I said, I don't even think he's ready for Sean Paul, never mind Jake Paul. So this was like the evolution of Tommy Fury in two years more so. And again, Jake Paul, he doesn't owe anyone an apology. He can go back to YouTube. I think it's kind of done him a disservice to try to prove to people that he can hang with an actual boxer because his rating, his pay-per-view numbers have actually gone down. I haven't seen the figures yet for, for this one. Maybe it goes back up, but he's trended downwards since, you know, he was on the Tyson Jones on the card. And then even when he fought Ben Askren. So going back to that YouTube circuit, I, I think it's going to work to his benefit. Like, you know, as far, you know, from pure uh, profit standpoint. So it, it's going to be up to him. He honestly, he has nothing to prove. He went in there. He, he shut everyone up. He fought a boxer. He came close. Yeah. So maybe go and do the rematch, prove you can actually beat a boxer. I mean, he can go and fight, um, what's it, I think Luis Pineda, the guy that, that KSI fought, who's become a, a big star in the misfit boxing circuit. I mean, go fight someone like that and beat him. It's worked for KSI. So why wouldn't it work for Jake? Paul? Who's the, who's that guy? And Corey, you probably know the answer to this. Salt shaker. Salt. Salt poppy. Salt poppy. Salt poppy. I sounded yeah. so old saying that. <laughs> salt poppy right there. But that guy comes in with some energy, man. He's got an attitude uh, there to yeah. him. Uh, so yeah, it's a look, perfect it, opponent. Yeah. It, it's good. It'll be fun. I, I actually prefer Jake Paul. I think he's going to take the rematch i think we'll probably see it in the uk uh both those guys can make a boatload of money but uh, either way i think jake paul's got a future in that influencer circuit as well um the real fight of this past weekend 140 pound title fight guys i have got this twitter follower that sends me dms like once every like six or seven weeks about Subriel matias like telling me that this is the next great fighter the next great world champion 
Uh, and sure enough, in the aftermath of Matias uh, winning the IBF version of the 140-pound title, I got another long paragraph uh, from this guy. So, uh, Jake Donovan, I'll ask you this. Uh, was this a coming out party for Subriel Matias? Like, we've seen him on the circuit for a few years now. He's been in, in prominent fights for, for a while. I think a lot of people, you know, kind of knew him in a tragic way for what happened in the Dadashev fight in D.C. a few years ago. Uh, but this is a, a what, 30-year-old fighter, blunt force power, great chin. Uh, did we see the emergence of a new star on Saturday? I mean, to your point, I think he's always been there. I guess he just needed this opportunity. Like, even when Regis fought Jose Zapata, it was kind of a reminder that, yes, he is still, he's probably the best junior welterweight in the world. You know, even though Josh Taylor is the true champ, I, I would pick Regis in a rematch if they fought today. So, Subriel, I think he made that statement that he's right there. He and Regis are both going to have a hard time finding opponents. So, it makes even more sense that they do go and fight each other. But he made the statement that he had to make. Uh, you know, I, I think he's always been at this level. He just needed this opportunity. I mean, the poor guy was training for like nine months, you know, waiting for this fight to finally transpire. He heard rumors about, you know, uh, Ponce not, you know, being able to settle up his visa, went back to a purse bid. TGB had to get, you know, regain control of it just to get this fight over the line. So the scary part is I think we're going to see an even better version if he doesn't have to, you know, wait this long in between fights. But yeah, the talent has always been there. I, I find it remarkable, too, that for, you know, all he's been through, the tragedy with the Dashev, you know, to come back with that and literally still have that, you know, he's talking about still, you know, killing people. I mean, that, mm. that's a scary mentality. Corey, yeah, what that, do you think? Yeah, I, I think that, that that's what's really stood out to me about Matias is, and it's, like, you almost don't want to say that it's a positive thing, but th right. the fact that he has gone through that tragedy and still has that that meanness and almost a, a callousness to his approach mm -hmm. makes him a very scary operator in the ring. And when you combine that with what his attributes are in the ring, which, as you mentioned, are knockout power and a really outrageous motor for 140 pounds, this is a guy who is tailor-made for television. And I think, to your point, Chris, I think the question with Matias has always been, it has is this just a really exciting fighter who we'll see for a little bit and then he fades out or is he going to have some degree of longevity uh on the prominent circuit you know on on showtime and now that he has a world title uh and has a victory over another world-class type opponent i think the answer to that is yes and and i don't know i don't know if i agree with the person in your dms that this is sort of like the next great uh champion necessarily <laughs> But he is a world champion, and I think that this it's not a uh, – I don't think it does him a disservice to say that, hey, maybe this is one of this generation's, you know, Brandon Rios's or Mike Alvarado's, you know, those type of fighters who win world titles and are just on premium cable for a long time and are one of the most memorable fighters of this generation. That – that goes a long way. That makes you a lot of money. That that yeah. keeps you in the fans' consciousness for a long time. And the types of fights that Matias is delivering and probably will continue to deliver are going to make him that if he continues to get these opportunities. Yeah, Jake, I'd, I'd level him above uh, guys like Alvarado and Rios, who were fun fighters, but <laughs> I don't think they were... We wouldn't consider one of them great fighters, even at their apex. Uh, I think Matias has that potential to be not just a world champion, but a unified world champion, maybe an undisputed world champion. I mean, look, Ponce's good, not great, but he came out in that first round and he was throwing bombs. He was coming right at Matias, throwing big shots. And what impressed me about Matias, at the end of that first round, after taking that onslaught, 
He just kind of shrugged his shoulders, went back to the corner, settled down, got back into it, started landing his own shots to the point where that was after the fifth. Ponce's corner's like, oh, screw this. I'm, we're, not, we're not doing this anymore. Like, my guys, but it was like the, um, we should almost brand it like the Hector Luis Garcia business decision moment. Like, just, you know what? <laughs> Let's live to fight another day on this one. This guy's kicking our ass. I think this guy's got a pretty, uh, a pretty high ceiling at 140 pounds. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, he's kind of. I love the fact that he went back. He avenged the loan loss uh, he had. He said it was it was an off night. He accepted defeat. He went back and he knocked that guy out. Um, the fight that really impressed me. I was ringside for it when he beat uh, Batir uh, J- J- uh, Excuse me, Jukembayov. I think I'm probably. Yeah, Jukembayov. I'm impressed yeah, that you. I'm impressed you got that you, far. I'm impressed. Thank you. Impressed you got that yeah, far. Yeah. Corey's always the superior researcher to me. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> um, but yeah, but but that fight. I mean, again, it was like he had to overcome a little bit of adversity. You know, that guy was coming on, and then it just. Matias, once he gets going, like there's, it just seems to be no stopping him. So Ponce got a sense of that. I think that's going to be the case with, um, I could really see him running the tables on the PBC side, at least. I think he's very competitive with Regis. I, I think he would probably beat Josh Taylor right now. I just don't think Josh Taylor is any longer at his best at 140. I think he's doing a disservice by staying at this weight, but he might be in no man's land. But to me, the fight is going to be uh, Regis and, and Matias. I, I think Subriel beats everyone like uh, Roly Romero. Uh, Pueyo, anyone that PBC can offer him. I, I think he would run the tables over there. I, I would say not only do I give him a shot against you know all the guys in the top 10 at 140, but the other thing is that I think the matchup of Matias against any one of those guys in the top 10 is more exciting than any other matchup that you could make between any combination of other guys at 140. And that's important too. Yes. You know, I think Matias against any, Matias against Jack Catterall is more exciting than any, like in terms of pure action is going to be more exciting than any other pairing uh, of two men at 140. And, and that like that enough is going to get people to tune in. You know, that Corey's got like a poster of that, Eastern European guy you just named there, like behind him. He's like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lived in Canada. He lived in Canada for a long time. (laughs) I I called three of his fights on uh, ESPN 12. It actually is phenomenal. I have called three of his fights. I'm I'm shocked. I'm not shocked by that. (laughs) You know, you you guys mentioned, uh, and Jake, I'll put this to you, uh, a pro-grade fight's a no-brainer, right? Pro-grade's already on Twitter talking shit, saying I'll eat this guy for lunch. Matias doesn't back down from anybody. Um it's a meaningful fight because two titles would be on the line. It would leapfrog the winner into a different stratosphere and be a fight of the year uh, contender for sure. Maybe an obvious one. Um, question is, who's going to pay for it, right? Like, right. That, that's what it always comes down to. And Progray right now is in no man's land of his own, trying to get a title defense done in the first half of this year so he can look at you know potential options in the second half. Uh, Matias, maybe he's got an IBF mandatory coming up, but that's probably a little bit further down the line. Like, to me, the window's now, right? It's like June, July of this year where the winner of that fight can can be that guy that can look to the winner of Teofimo Lopez, Josh Taylor, and say, I got two belts. You want them? Can maybe look to Ryan Garcia if he moves up and wait after this Gervonta fight and say, you want a big fight? I got two belts. You want it? Um, you know, I, 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 I don't... I guess I'm pessimistic, Jake, that that fight could actually happen because they're both going to want like high six figures at least to get it done. And I don't know who in the boxing broadcast landscape is going to pay for it. No, I, I'm with you on that. And, you know, with Regis, look, Marvin Rodriguez, I think he spent the only $2.4 million that he had to ever get in the Regis pro grade business again. So um, the thing with the Matias, I actually just reported today, the IBF is now in the process of trying to establish uh, a mandatory for Matias. So they sent invitation letters to uh, Ergashev. 
and to Jack Catterall. Uh, Ergashev has already accepted, so it's up to Catterall. So they would have to fight to become his mandatory. That means Matias should be entitled a voluntary defense. He would have to get back in the ring soon, not wait another 13 months or whatever plan. Hopefully, you know, PBC and Showtime are motivated to, you know, roll these guys out more often than once a year like we got last year. So with that, I, I don't know if a pro fight could happen next, but pro he's stuck with the whole whatever's going on in Probellum that, you know, I know they're in the process of being sold to this disrupt promotions, whatever company. I don't know what fighter is going to go on board. I was told it's going to be like less than a third of the of the roster on Probellum that would go over to them. But I don't know if that creates even more problems for him. I, he would probably just have to make another deal with PBC because, you know, we we dream about all these fights. But then again, it's like who is going to pick up the check? So PBC would have to decide, yes, it's a good fight. And you can't put that on pay-per-view. It has to be a Showtime main event. So then you have to establish the budget for that. But if Matias can get back in the ring within the next six months and Regis can't get someone like a Sergey Lipinets or, well, obviously Gary Antoine Russell is now going backwards, you know, in his career, in his development, th- that fight makes sense. It's like if you can make that fight now, let's do it now. Yeah. Corey, that's an awesome Showtime main event. Like, that's a, oh, yeah. a huge viewership, huge, you know, event. I, I maybe you do it in, you know, Texas, Louisiana, somewhere close to where Reed just draws a few fans. But that's a massive event. I, I, just I'll, a massive yeah, event. I'll I'll keep some praise on it, and you know, I think that you know, calling it one of the best fights that you can make in boxing. Some people might uh, might kind of like bristle at that, but so I'll I'll qualify it on a personal level. For me. Matias versus Progre, it feels like one of the most like aesthetically pleasing fights that you could possibly make right now that, that are that are reasonable. You know, Matias and his punch output and then Progre with that combination of kind of slickness and willingness to work on the inside. Uh, to me, that is just like that's the kind of fight that I dream about. Right? So I, I want it to get made and I don't know what kind of viewership that it would get. But uh, as long as someone picks up the Showtime boxing rights here in Canada, which is a big problem, uh, I will be one of those viewers. I think <laughs> Matias versus Progress should become your uh, Andre Charlo, Corey. Yeah, <laughs> I maybe you should adopt it. And and that way you can feel the pain of something never happening because uh, I've got years. Maybe then I'd have someone uh, in my DMs. I have no one in my DMs. You don't. You don't want. You don't want these people in your DMs. You do not want them in your DMs. Uh, good segue there, Jake, to talk about PBC. Um, mm-hmm. In in the PBC universe, fighters seem to be let's just say branching out for now more than ever before. You got Fulton, you know, going over to Japan at some point to fight Naya in a way. Uh, Deontay Wilder recently declared himself a free agent. Andy Ruiz sort of did, like said he's leaving Tom Brown, but he's staying with Al Heyman. I'm not sure what that means. Um, You know, you're connected to the people inside PBC. Do you get any sense that there's some kind of shift going on there? Is this just the case of a few top fighters are exploring other opportunities, or are we seeing something fundamentally change or the beginning of potentially something fundamentally change with PBC? Yeah, it's tough to get in the weeds with this because like once you start asking these questions, then you get like such varying different answers that there's this audience that wants to see PBC just finally crash and burn. They've been predicting it since 2015. There's others who just stand in front of a fire and say everything's fine. You know, you know, there's no problems. Um, I do like Showtime's commitment. We're seeing it like in the first six, seven months. They're certainly putting on a lot of shows. I'm not going to say it's like their best schedule. I thought even what they did in 2021, you know, eclipses what they're doing now, but the effort is definitely there. Um, I want to focus on the positive though. I prefer like Fulton saying, okay, well, you're giving me this rematch with Brandon Figueroa, but hey, in a way he's moving up to 122. I want to fight this guy. 
And then they went ahead and made that fight happen. So it's obviously a fight that's way too expensive to put in the U.S. without putting it on pay-per-view. And it's a pay-per-view disaster. Fulton's willing to go to Japan, get a huge payday for this fight and, and a winnable fight. So that's, you know, I, I like that, you know, PBC, not PBC is allowing it, but they listened to what Stephen Fulton wanted. And they said, go ahead and make that fight happen. And he did. With Wilder and Ruiz, it's disappointing that the money is not there to satisfy both of them. But I don't know if I blame PBC for that. I think to say this is what the fight is worth to us to put on, even to put on pay-per-view. Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz saying we want more money. So, you know, now Deontay's exploring other options. I don't even know if that fight is going to happen. But if they're asking for far more than what they think is fair market value, I, I think that's a fair reset on the part of PBC. So I'm not going to say... You know that they're going to close up shop yet i think they're just reevaluating okay where should we be spending our money especially you know we got to remember too fox sports is no longer mm -hmm. doing boxing they were supposed to do you know pay-per-views i don't know what happened with that but it's now down to showtime and showtime even if they go every other weekend there's still only so many dates they can give to satisfy all these contracts so i i i think you know in that regard you know where wilder and ruiz are claiming you know promotional free agent status yeah go ahead and go explore see who's going to give you more money if they can go fight in the middle east then god bless them you know that's you know that's less money out of pbc's pocket so yeah i i think it's just a great a smarter investment on their part yeah and Corey, i i think it's great to see at least the possibility of guys bouncing from promotional companies to net there's no real downside to it i mean like andy ruiz made it clear he's still working with al Heyman. deontay wilder is still working with al Heyman. al Heyman will be involved in negotiations for their next fight wherever it is on whatever network it lands on like eddie hearn has some kind of relationship with middle eastern countries maybe that could be what gets a wilder ruiz fight done which is ultimately all that matters we just want to see those two guys uh get into the ring and you know look ryan garcia tank davis is happening because ryan garcia and golden boy are doing a deal where the fight is going to land on showtime pay-per-view like this is this kind of should be how it works like where yeah. maybe we can slowly start to break this mold where exclusivity is all that matters. I mean, it's it's to a lesser extent, but I was reading on Boxing Scene, you know, Joe Markovsky at the zone, you know, writing or saying to a reporter, like, we're open to all promoters. You want to bring a fight to us? You got a good one? Like, come come over here, like, pitch it to us. Like, who knows if they will, but if, you know, if there aren't, if PBC doesn't have the options that it once did, specifically when it comes to networks, two of them that would, would put on fights, I'd love to see them start working with, other companies, other networks, just to try to get some of these big fights done. Yeah, and, and maybe some of this is, is out of necessity. I mean, obviously, to, to a certain degree, it must be. Uh, but maybe, you know, some of it is is just them deciding, okay, this is the best course of action. Like, I have no special insight on what's happening. I come to you guys, the, the Capital R reporters, to uh, to learn some of these things uh, as far as, like, what's we'll put, happening. We'll put, Jake, the, we'll put Jake in the Capital R. I'll go lowercase. Okay, yeah, lowercase, you know, yeah. I, I, I do not have an R uh, in my uh, at the beginning of my job title whatsoever. But I will I, – I, I would say this. Like, I think there's a tendency when we talk – or when people – not we – when people in boxing talk about PBC and Al Heyman – there's a tendency to lead with skepticism and I am quite the opposite, you know, and I, you know, as someone who also loves uh, the, the music industry and knowing kind of Al's history and what he did, like the, the, the landscape as we know it of the music industry and the live event industry, the ticketing industry, like Al Heyman is extremely crucial to a, a lot of what we know as the, like the modern foundation of how things in modern promotion and i mean event promotion period and how they work period 
So I there's a there's a degree of trust that I have in the decisions that he makes that they will be good ones for his clients and obviously monetarily for himself. So I, I don't necessarily know what's going on, but what I do know is that the two fights that we're most excited about, by and large, involve PBC fighters crossing over to fight someone else right now. So my feeling right now is that whatever is happening is is something that's probably going to benefit the fighters right now. And, and I, just, I just generally have trust that Al Heyman is going to make a good decision. Uh, look, I think it is a good decision not to guarantee huge sums of money for a Wilder Ruiz fight because as compelling as the three of us find that fight, I don't think it's going to have the mainstream appeal that will justify like $5 million a piece more perhaps in potential purchases, uh, uh, you know, pay-per-view buys. So that's, you got to do what you got to do. Like I've, I've often said this, like I, I don't believe there should be anything more than minimal guarantees in pay-per-view. That's the whole point of pay-per-view. You are paid per view. If you don't get the views, right. you should not be paid because you didn't get them. Like I'm not right. trying to be pro-promoter here or pro-advisor, but these networks and promoters should not be left on the hook to pay a, a big bill just for the right to get these fights on on their network. So I, I, I like that, and I like the idea of of cross promotional stuff because these guys, Jake, they gotta they gotta be busier, man. Like yeah. you can't build a career fighting once a year. You just can't. No matter how big that fight is, you gotta fight minimum two times. And if there's an opportunity, fight three. I understand injuries happen, tough fights take some extended time off, but like the fact that Deontay Wilder, who had a one round fight against Robert Hellenius back in what November, whenever that was, October. October, yeah, like is now we're looking at what June, July, maybe for his next fight. Like yeah. he gotta. These guys got to get back into it and be active. Maybe this Jake is a way that it can happen. Maybe, and again, we're sometimes too optimistic about what boxing can do, but like maybe this is a way that we get guys busier because that's what will help the sport more than anything. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. And you know, I do applaud that. You know, they're not. You know, for people say like Al Heyman is this control freak that you know everything has to happen under his you know tent or whatever. You know, allowing them to branch out. You know, so to speak. I, I do have to applaud that, you know, to your point, like if guys don't want to settle for like, okay, well, this is the only date that Showtime has available. This is the budget they have available. They they need to get in the ring as, as often as possible. So I, I yeah, I, I can't agree more with that point. Yeah. Um, another uh, potential move that we have for this year is uh, Terrence Crawford, who seems to be trending towards a deal with, uh, with Golden Boy. I saw Crawford at the Creed three premiere. We're both, you know, movie stars, as you guys know. And, uh, you know, I, it does seem like the Alexis Rocha fight one way or the other is going to happen. The WBO, uh, right. recently ordered that fight. Corey, you know, I, I've said to you before on air, like I'm fine with that fight. Like Crawford's a massive favorite, but you got to defend your title against the mandatory. Alexis Rocha is the highest ranked guy. Um, if he knocks him out, big deal. Like, you got to test yourself at some point. And for Bud Crawford, it goes back to the thing about activity. He's been a once-a-year fighter for, like, the last three and a half, four years. Like, if you can get an opportunity to get right back in in April or May, probably May, uh, and and fight an Alexis Rocha, don't you just have to do it and, and see if you can build some momentum back yourself? Yeah, 100%. Now, is this obviously the ideal scenario or the one that everyone wanted? No, but it is also the position that we're in. Like, could better decisions have been made that would have resulted in him facing Errol Spence? Yes. But the the position that Crawford is in right now, he needs to link up with somebody to start making fights because he he can't just fight on BLK Prime and be able to fight the caliber of opponents or the frequency of them that he would like or that fans would like for a top-level fighter. So, 
you know, uh, it's it's obviously second to Crawford Spence, but if we get Crawford Rocha as a potential, you know, trampoline towards uh, Crawford versus Virgil Ortiz, that to me is very positive. And also, you know, we called Alexis Rocha George Ashey, and you asked Rocha the question, you know, like, do you think you're ready for Terrence Crawford? And he also isn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. He said, I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll fucking find out when I get in there. You know, <laughs> like that's the, we'll find out. And so he's willing to yeah. test himself. Rocha isn't saying like I demand this fight. I, I you know, I 100% deserve this fight. He kind of recognizes that yeah, he's been fighting the George Ashies, but he is positioned within the rankings to get a Terence Crawford fight. So of course he's going to challenge himself and take it. So I think that this is the, the type of fight that is is good for Terence Crawford right now. And also not one that anyone needs to lie about in terms of what it is. You know, Rocha, I think I saw the odds today, is a plus 600 underdog. That's fair. That's what this fight is. And it's a potential uh, appetizer for Crawford, Virgil Ortiz, which everyone should be excited about. Jake, I'm kind of impressed that Golden Boy might be able to get this done. Like, granted, Crawford doesn't have a lot of options right now. He's... Right. Is he, I guess he's still involved with a lawsuit somehow with top with top rank. They're not mm-hmm. going to work together. Uh, the PBC conversation didn't end well. Eddie Hearn doesn't have anybody for him. Um, right. I, I guess Golden Boy was really the only game in town. But even when that picture was posted on social media, I'm like, all right, well, that's nice. It's a little publicity right. stunt. I, I wasn't sure it was yes. going to get done, but it does seem like you know a Rocha fight is probably the 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 favorite at this point to happen for Crawford next and. You know, I, I look, if Ortiz beats Danny Owens, which, by the way, a 50-50 fight, that's, there's no guarantee that happens. Uh, Ortiz against um, against Crawford would be a pretty big event. So um, I, I guess the question is, are, like, are you surprised is the path we're kind of on right now with Crawford leaning in Golden Boy's direction? So when I saw that picture post, you know, my first question was, okay, is this just Oscar trolling? Obviously, you know, as you said, it's a Rocha fight week, so why not draw attention to it? But it, when you look at the rankings, it makes sense. We knew Rocha was going to float up to the, that number one position because Boots was ahead of him. Virgil Ortiz was ahead of him. They're both fighting. Well, Boots now has the interim IBF belt. will probably be upgraded. Ortiz is obviously fighting Stanionis. They'll probably be upgraded to WBA full champ. So the next step would be for, you know, Bud to make his his uh, mandatory title defense against Rocha. And I'm fine with it. Look, I mean, there's still people who are stuck on Crawford Spence has to happen. It's not going to happen. We don't even know if Errol Spence is going to return to welterweight. Now, look, and I've said this, look, last year the fight was supposed to happen. I'm fine. Blame Bud. Give him 100% of the blame. That's fine. You can't change what you had for dinner last night, though. It's time to move <laughs> on. Bud can't sit around and just say, okay, well, I'm going to wait for Spence to make his next move. His fight hasn't even been announced yet. We have an idea of when it's going to happen. But that, you know, Showtime intentionally has not yet announced it. So Bud has to move on with his own career in the meantime. So I, I think it's a perfectly acceptable fight. You know, as far as like you talk about staying active, you know, Alexis Rocha lost a fight. He lost to Rashidi Ellis. He's fought six times since then. His last fight was his fifth fight in, I think, in like 13 or 14 months. So that that's what you do. Now he's worked his way back into contention. And, you know, like you said, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough until I get in the ring with him. Even if he loses, he's 25 years old. He has time to come back from that. So th- these are the type of fights like when they only happen once a year. Yes, the fight's not good. But when you get guys who are active, these are the type of fights you get to fill the gap. So that's what I view it as. So, And if this fight does lead to Bud fighting the winner of Ortiz and Stanionis, even if he doesn't sign with Golden Boy, as long as he has that working relationship. Because like you said, the, the bridge has been burned with just about everyone else. I mean, he has, I think he has a decent, you know, I don't know if he has any kind of relationship with um, Eddie Hearn, but at least Eddie was honest in saying, well, I don't have anyone on this side to offer him, so why would I sign him? Golden Boy has guys that they can throw at him, so... 
I, I'm fine with that. He needs a working relationship with someone, even if not necessarily a promotional contract. What, so I, I'm fine with this path. What, what, and one thing I, I would add to that too, Jake, is that it's beneficial for Crawford at this point from a PR perspective, because he is kind of fighting a little bit of an upward battle, right? Because there are a lot of people who put all the blame on Bud for that fight not happening. But so, yeah, he can't change what happened there. But one thing he can do is is just be purely active. Just sheer activity is what he does have at his disposal if he can work with a golden boy and with some other promoters he can't give people the gourmet meal that they wanted but he can give them not not a buffet but he can give them dim sum you know he can give them like yeah. you know 60 percent caliber <laughs> dishes quite often uh that and that's right. in, that will help that will help his standing amongst the fan base by the way uh jake the, the the people that play the blame game on crawford versus spence if you put a gun to my head right now and told me who's at fault i would have no idea no idea. Like if, and I, look, we all talk to people in this business. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a take on it. Um, we all followed or tried to follow that Twitter beef and then the video Crawford right. posted out there. But like, if you are sitting there listening to this podcast, telling me, you know, definitively who right. is to blame for that fight falling apart. You are a thousand times smarter than I am. You are because for whatever reason it crumbled. Crawford has his reasons for walking away. Spence had his reasons for pushing for whatever he pushed for. It's too complicated right now. Uh, you know, hedge funds, foreign countries, splits, right. expenses. I don't know what the fuck is going on with, with that. <laughs> that was wild. I, I would say I have, Jake, I don't know about you, but I've kind of, I would say this, I've abandoned this fight happening or Spence Crawford happening at 147. I don't think it's happening yeah. at 147 because I don't believe Spence is going to cut back down seven pounds. I think he's at 154 now. He'll fight Keith Thurman at some point. I don't know, like, what happens with Charlo in those belts? Like, I don't I don't imagine they'd ever fight each other. They have the same trainer, and I don't know. It, it just Naturally, it seems a little odd. But, like, if one belt, belt becomes vacant or Jamel Charlo moves up to 160, which is certainly possible, it's open field right now at middleweight, um, I think Spence is a junior middleweight. And maybe he collects some titles up there. Maybe they fight at 154. But I, if... If you ask me, the one question I can't answer is I don't as I don't believe that fight happens at welterweight anymore. I think Crawford's path to becoming undisputed is now defend your title against Rocha and the winner of Ortiz Danionis is the first step. So maybe a boots fight is the big fight for you at 147. No, I agree. That's going to be a path. Like if he stays at 147, go collect all the belts that are going to become available once again. Because before prior to 2022, I always said that if Crawford and Spence ever happened, and I never believed they would, that it would happen at 154. Then when the negotiations happen. Like we all got hope. It's like, oh wow, this fight, you know, really has, you know, there's a pathway to it. So now I'm just, I'm just checked out with it. Like once Bud said, okay, I'm gonna go fight for Uncle Des and you know take his ten million dollars. I, I was done with that. Okay, this fight is never gonna happen. At least not at welterweight. I'm fine with that. You know, if Spence has his options, great. Go move on with your own career. I have my own theory about what's gonna happen to him at 154. I do believe Charlo will probably let go of a belt because he's not gonna sit there and just keep fighting mandatory the rest of his career. But for Bud, there's still a pathway to him fighting undisputed. It's the scenic route and it'll probably, you know, be at the end of his career. But again, it, it begins with, you know, having a relationship with Golden Boy who probably has the most, you know, welterweights that they can throw at him right now. That's what he should call the... Uh, path to undisputed now, the scenic route. I like that. Right. Like, put Golden Bush put that in a press release. Call it Golden Boy signs Bud Crawford. The scenic route. Come on. It, it passes through uh, Indio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Indio. Uh, last thing for you guys. Uh, I'm going to raise a metaphorical glass for BLK Prime. Um, yeah. Shout out BLK Prime. I don't know what your future is at the moment, but you had an interesting run. You uh, showed us new ways to light money on fire. 
with the uh, Crawford <laughs> fight against David Avanesian. And now you are out of the Adrian Broner business. Broner takes to social media and says he's a free agent once again. Zero fights into a three-fight contract <laughs> that he claimed would be worth eight figures. And now Adrian Broner is on the market once again. Jake, I have no insight into why this, this happened. I've made no calls on it. But, like... Right. Uh, do you have any clue as to why the Broner BLK Prime relationship crumbled before it even started? Well, you're raising a glass. I'm going to spill one out in the in depth of BLK Prime. I, I'm pretty sure they're out of the business at this point. I have heard that they are most likely going to fold up shop. Maybe I'm dead wrong on that. I'll, I'm fine if I am, but I, I just you know I think they did try with good intention to go through with this event. It just obviously didn't happen for a variety of reasons. I can't recall like so many opponents pulling out within such a short time frame or, you know, not being being available. I just it was a horrible, you know, mix from the start. I think they thought that with Broner, like it would kind of catch fire, but it, it just didn't. Ticket sales were horrible, even if that fight happened. So I just don't know what's next for Broner. I, you know, the, the apology tour is very noticeable. Maybe he somehow works his way back with, you know, with PBC that they find a fight for him. They'll, they'll find opportunities for him. But yeah, it always seems to go that way. He talks junk. He gets a fight. The fight doesn't happen. He talks more junk. And then it just it's I don't know if it's a love hate relationship, but um, I, I I don't know. I don't know. if I, I'm sure we'll see Broner in the ring at some point. I know they keep talking about him fighting possibly Connor Ben. It just feels like some type of circus atmosphere. He's talking about he wants to fight Regis Progray. That's <laughs> OK. I, yeah, I, I don't think we'll ever see Adrian Broner in any in a meaningful fight ever again. I mean, it'll be a fight that'll catch attention, but uh, you know, something on the title level, I just don't see it happening. Corey, I know you are preparing a oral history on BLK Prime. What uh, what what are your thoughts on on the end of BLK Prime? Uh, my glass is empty, so I can neither toast nor pour one out, and, and I suspect that that's the reason why uh, you know BLK Prime is. Uh, coming to his demise, you know, when you Google searched uh, the offices of BLK Prime, they did not look like the location of a company that could fund uh, regular multi-million dollar boxing events. So uh, that's one thing. But when it comes to Adrian Broner, like, listen, like, I just hope that Adrian Broner's okay. You know, like, obviously, this is a man who is is deeply troubled, um, has been going through uh, substance abuse issues, things outside of the ring, uh, you know, clearly you know, his interviews are drastically different kind of day after day. And I just hope that he's all right. And I, I hope that there is still someone in his life and, and professionally that is going to look out for him. Uh, but, you know, he continues to be compelling enough, uh, amusing enough to people and obviously talented enough to continue to get opportunities. So whether he's whether he's in like a big, big fight again, uh, I don't know. But yeah, I honestly, I could see him facing Conor Ben. You know, because there are going to be a lot of people that don't want to face Conor Ben for the reasons that we all understand. Uh, but Broner, as someone that doesn't have a ton of options right now, or at least needs to create them, might be the type of fighter that would jump at something like that. It would make uh, a fight for Conor Ben uh, interesting to some. So I, I could see something like that happening. There will be opportunities for Adrian Broner. Uh, but for me, I, I, that's just secondary to just hoping that this isn't a sport that does more harm to him than good. Yeah, I'm with you on hoping it works out for Adrian Broner on a personal level. I remember just being, I went to his camp years ago before the Maidana fight in Colorado Springs and spent a few days kind of learning his story from the people around him. And he's really overcome a lot to get to this point. It's, you know, you, you hope that he can get some semblance of a career uh, back on track. That's number one. I, I do want to keep it light, though, for a moment. Like we've seen in boxing, we have seen some creative ways to 
just flush money down the toilet. Like, just burn it. Like, whatever PBC did with all that Waddell and Reed money. Um, Eddie Hearn going out there and signing, like, Tevin Farmer to multi-million dollar deals of the guys that he was putting on from 2018 up until 2020. Like, boxing just gives you example after example of what it means to see money disappear in real time. BLK Prime might, at least in the short run, might take the cake. I mean, guaranteeing Terrence Crawford $10 million for a fight that probably did, like, I've heard anywhere from 25000 or less, you know, for that pay-per-view. Um, guaranteeing him all that much money. Then giving Broder a deal. Then, I believe, Jake, you were the first one to post this. Like, Whoever was on Facebook, like asking for an opponent to fight Adrian Broner, and by the way, offering one hundred and seventy-five thousand yes. dollars—that's real money. Like that's legitimate <laughs> money to be an opponent for Adrian Broner. I'm almost shocked that nobody was was able to take it at this point. That, that this was an incredible run. Like, like I, I, some we need to call Ed Brophy at at Kenestota and like get get BLK Prime somewhere in the Hall of Fame. Like, just get them. Yeah. Get them somewhere. Um, on Broner, I do think a Ben fight. I'm with you guys. Makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. Ben's gonna get back in the ring at some point. He can. He's not vindicated. He's not you know anything because of what the WB said. In fact, he's actually. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's like disputing the WBC's findings. He said it's like wasn't it wasn't eggs. It was bad testing, which is you know always the uh, that old chestnut of of bad testing. Right. But he knows, and Eddie Hearn knows, the British Boxing Board of Control is not going to fold the same way that WBC did. Like they're not, He's not going to get right. licensed anytime soon. But he can go over to the Middle East, and the Middle East is where some money is. They might have enough money to pay Adrian Broner. And look, a Ben fight, quite frankly, I don't know if it's winnable for Adrian Broner, but it's the most winnable high-profile fight that's going to be out there. Connor Ben's got power, but Adrian Broner's got a great chin. And Broner's going to have an experience advantage. He can do some things in the ring. If he's right, and we don't know about that. But if he's right, Jake, he, that, that's the fight he could win. Like that's, and if he wins that fight, you know, that's that's an easy way to get your career back on track. It'll it'll be at 147. You know, a weight that Broner is now probably officially at at the moment forever. Um, yeah. But that that to me is the, you know, if Broner can find a way to swallow his pride and realize you're not going to get like four million dollars to do it, um, he right. should run towards that fight if at all possible. No, I agree 100%. I've always said, too, um, he's not going to allow himself to be like a stepping stone for prospects or guys who don't have any kind of profile whatsoever. And to Corey's point, like, you want to, you know, know that the guy is going to be happy. I mean, he had to pull out of the Omofa Euro fight. He cited mental health issues. I mean, we know they're very real with him. So he seemed like he was a lot happier going into this camp. He looked like he was at least in shape, you know, it, you know, had the fight happen. So I, I'm not going to say the dedication is there and he's going to stay on course. But a fight like this, I think, would really get him going. It would probably happen. You know, I know Eddie has the deal in Abu Dhabi, the championship series or whatever. So that's going to be probably Conor Ben's, you know, home base up until he can get licensed anywhere else in the world. So uh, there's real money there for Broner. I mean, he doesn't have to sit around and, you know, chase, you know, Facebook fights or whatever. So uh, I think Adrian Broner could push it all in for that one. Um, I, I don't know where it would lead to, but it's good enough to get him to the next step in his career. So it's a real payday. He doesn't have to go and fight like some 19-0 hungry prospect that just wants to use his name. And this is, by the way, this is why he still has options. Because even three people like us were on here and we we started off kind of jovial. And then we were like, huh, but if he puts it all together... Maybe he can win this fight, right? Because we've seen the the, the Adrian Broner of 10 years ago. Like We've seen that electric talent. You know, and and so I think we tend to do this with these kind of embattled but extremely talented athletes. 
just merely that conversation leading up to their next fight, their next performance is always enough curiosity to hook you, right? And he is always going to have that. So there will always be opportunities for him. And you're right, Jake. I, I think that he understandably thinks too highly of himself to ever allow himself to go that other path. He always needs right. to, if not be the A side, then the de facto A side. And there will still be opportunities for that. They're still out there. I just want to know who the who's going to be the BLK Prime of 2023. Like who who's coming in in the second half of this year with bold plans to take over boxing? Who's coming in with Marv Nation money? Who's coming in with BLK Prime money? <coughs> Excuse me. Who's going to win that next purse bid? Triller money? Like who's going to come in? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Why does nobody in boxing realize this? Why why is this so hard to wrap your head around that just Pumping money in to one A-side-ish fighter is not going to work. It's not going to work. You've got to be competitive. you got to put on consistent events. Oh, it's almost it's, like I'm, we're like in the mayor of crazy town here sometimes with boxing. Listen, I, I don't know who it's going to be, but whoever it is, my agent is Debbie Spander. You need someone to call oh, these fights. Oh, for the love of God. Oh, <laughs> you, uh, yeah, Corey, Corey. Corey will call something in Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah, sure, yes. I'll fly right over there and take care of it. Uh, read Jake and Corey's stuff over at BoxingScene.com. Follow them on social media. Great insight and intel into all things in the boxing world. Fellas, always great to catch up. Looking forward to seeing you guys real soon. Anytime. Heal that foot. Yes. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to you being back on the back off the uh, engine list. And when we come back, my conversation with Steven Espinoza. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Steven Espinoza is the president of Showtime Sports. Showtime Boxing has nine upcoming events over the next four months, including the big one the one that Steven so callously iced me out of. April 22nd, <laughs> Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, catch weight fight, mega fight in Las Vegas. And Steven joins me to talk about that and much more on the show. I feel like that was an appropriate intro, Stephen. What do you think? I, I would expect nothing less, Chris. <laughs> um, let me ask you first then about Garcia and Tank. Uh, this was a fight that looked like it was done late last year. Predictably, some hiccups came up along the way. Over the last couple of months, were there points that you were legitimately concerned that this fight wouldn't get made? Um, I would say no. Um, and and really, the, the reason why, because there are certainly you know, points of disagreement. There are some things that I think were I think, new points relatively late in the process, you know, and that's always aggravating. But I think the, the reason why um, I wasn't concerned, I was optimistic and, and confident that it would get done the whole time, is because of Tank and Ryan. And look, it's an oversimplification, but if you look at Spence Crawford, you know that was proceeding, and then one guy decided to take a, an exit ramp and pursue another opportunity. Um, it was clear throughout this process because both Tank and Ryan had various opportunities to go a different direction and they had no interest in doing so. So as long as they stayed engaged and they remained committed, the rest of us had no point, uh, but had, had no, no choice, but to make it. So as long as the fighters stay engaged and, and focused on it, then, um, then I knew everything else would work out. You know, both these guys have massive audiences, very diverse audiences, very different audiences, what kind of pay-per-view business are you expecting? I'm sure you're not going to put a number on it um, at this point, but are you looking at this as being the kind of of show that could rival, say, Canelo Plant, which you did uh, a couple of years ago? Is it something a little bit smaller scale? Like, what kind of business are you expecting? Yeah, I mean, if we look at Canelo Plant, um, that that has been sort of the high water mark of recent pay-per-views. That. 800 range. It's about what Fury Wilder two and three did, maybe, maybe a little bit less. Canelo Plant was right around 800. So that that seems to be um, sort of not necessarily the ceiling, but sort of the high water mark we've seen. I'd be thrilled with those numbers. Um, you know, this is Ryan's first time on pay per view. Tank's been on several times. I, I think why I'm optimistic though is if we make a list of the the fighters who are known outside of the regular boxing fan. It's a pretty short list. Um, but 
aside from Canelo, you know, Ryan and Tank are probably top of that list, you know, in terms of people who attract the attention of, of, of a group of an audience that doesn't pay attention to boxing all the time. So we're, we're pulling not from our usual pool, but a much broader pool. So I think this could definitely be a breakout, but I also think that regardless of the outcome, both of these guys, this is the kind of fight where both of these guys end up bigger afterwards. And, you know, hopefully I expect something that's good enough that maybe we see it, you know, again, later on down the line, they're young enough to do that. Yeah. And that's frankly often the case where if two great fighters get in the ring, you know, there's a winner, there's a loser, but there's rarely a real loser. Like you, you Mm -hmm. both gain something significant. Um, uh, from an event like that, you guys at Showtime love the schedule dump. You love the schedule dump. The here's here's our next forty seven fights in the next uh, four and a half months. As you look at this calendar, which has a sprinkling of pay per view, sprinkling of Showtime Championship boxing, Showbox cards on there as well. Um, what do you like about this schedule? What is what is different or or notable about this schedule? I, I think it's a couple of things. Um, obviously, we're going to a really really busy period. Um, uh, like you said, you know, nine fights or nine events over, I think, an 11-week period. Um, at, at some point, eight weeks, eight live boxing events in, in a row over consecutive weekends. Um, I think it's I think it's the depth because I think we have uh, really made an effort to provide value. On second fight down the card, third fight down the card. You know, sometimes we're opening the cards with title fights, with meaningful title fights. So I think that's one thing we're proud of. Um, the other thing we're proud of is sort of the, I think, the variety. I mean, this represents, you know, the, the range of the sport from showbox to arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest pay-per-view that can be made you know, right now. So it's it's a little bit of everything. You know, it's not uh, heavily weighted, you know, pay-per-view or anything else. I think, you know, there's a good spread of everything from young guys at 10 and 0 to your established stars. And we've got a lot of names that, are just about to get finalized, but some of the bigger names aren't even on the schedule yet. The uh, the Spences, the Charlos, uh, the Morel, um, Ennis, you know, those will be coming pretty shortly. Um, and then when you layer those on, it's it's going to be even bigger and better. So I think we know, you know, Errol Spence, Keith Thurman sort of dancing around each other for a little while. You know, we're waiting for Jermel Charlo to get past his injury issue to get back into the ring. Jamal Charlo is the most intriguing name kind of out there. He hasn't fought since June of 2021. He came back recently on social media and said, I'll be back this June, which would be right around the two year anniversary of his last fight. Um, Are you expecting him to be added to the calendar before the end of June? And like, what are realistic expectations for Jamal Charlo at this point being off this long? I do expect him, you know, whether it's June or, um, or you know, early July, I think somewhere in there makes sense. Um, we're close to finalizing a fight. Um, I mean, being completely candid, look, he has been off two years, an injury, um, some personal issues to be sorted out. He's anxious to get back in the ring. I think, um, look, uh, being completely candid, 160 isn't the deepest division. You know, there's very good talent at the top, um, but there's a there's a gap once you get past the, the top names. Um, I think, you know, I don't think it's fair to ask him coming off the injury and some time off to take off the, the toughest opponent at the top of the list. You know, it's clearly not going to be Adamus or someone like that. But I think it will be a credible fight 
And I, I'd look to see a, a meaningful fight, maybe Adamas or something like that, as the next fight before the end of the year. Well, if he goes to 168, Stephen, there's a former two-division title holder just hanging out in the PBC universe now, uh, undefeated American trash talker, you know? I uh, Let's see. I'm checking my watch. Uh, what are we, seven minutes into the intro? This is this is a record. You waited seven minutes to bring up Demetrius Andre. I, I did. I've, I've kind of, you know, he's just been so off for so long, too. I mean, these guys, they could just. They're so inactive. Just get back in well, there and fight each well, other. Well, look, um, I, I for once, I, I, I agree with you. Um, for once. <laughs> for once, I agree. There's a backhanded compliment yeah, there's right, right there. So, you know, March, obviously, we've got a big fight with Benavidez's plan. Um, Canelo seems to have other plans for the foreseeable future. You know, maybe secures the the Bebo fight in the fall. Maybe he doesn't. Let's, let's assume he's true to his word and he does that. Um then the rest of the guys, look, you, you throw the names in the hat. Benavides, Plant, uh, Charlo, if he goes up there, Morel, and Andre. You know, there's plenty of talent there, plenty of good fights. I don't see you know, why not only Andre, but everybody else in that pool can't do high-level fights even without Canelo into, in the mix. Yeah, I think that actually is a great opportunity for somebody this year to separate and go into 2024 as the only choice for Canelo to fight in May. Because, you, like you said, all that talent is there. It's all under the same kind of umbrella. You know, Benavidez, probably the most talented guy of the bunch. Plant, though, pretty accomplished. Andrade, pretty accomplished. If somebody comes out of that with, like, two quality wins, th there's going to be a mandate to face Canelo uh, next year. One other thing on, on a potential fight, you mentioned Crawford. It sure looks like as we tape this that he's trending towards some kind of deal with Golden Boy that involves Alexis Rocha, his mandatory. Uh, Golden Boy also has Virgil Ortiz if he can beat Stanionis at the end of April. Um, on the subject of Spence Crawford, if right now 10 being you're overwhelmingly optimistic that that fight's going to happen, one being hell no, done, bury it six feet under, where are you right now on Spence against Crawford? Um, as the next fight or ever? Ever, really. Like, ever. You, know, you, oh. you know kind of the logistics, so. Ever, I, I would say uh, six and a half. Okay. Um, I, I, I think it happens. I'm more optimistic than not that it does happen. Um, I know there's still interest. I know there's still desire on the Spence side. Um, I believe uh, Crawford, when he says that he's interested as well. So uh, no one, as long as no one has given up, and I don't think anybody has, there are certainly obstacles, you know, the Rocha, the sanctioning body order being one of them. Um, but I, I still, um, look, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up until either one of them or both of them are retired. Do you think Spence is done at 147? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I understand it's difficult for him to make the weight. It's not impossible. Um, he can continue doing it. I think the question is, okay, um, you know, Crawford, uh, Thurman, Ennis, you know, those are all good opportunities at some point in, in the future. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, I, I think it's as much as wanting a new challenge as it is just a difficulty with the weight. Um, I want to ask you about some inner boxing type of stuff. You know, PBC's got some interesting things happening right now. You've got Adrian Broner recently left the company. Deontay Wilder has declared himself an open agent, whatever exactly that is. Andy Ruiz sort of did too, though he said he's no longer with Tom Brown, but still with Al Heyman. I'm not sure what it's kind of a distinction without a difference. Uh, PBC is still a considerable presence, obviously, in boxing. You work closely with them, but 
They have a large stable of fighters. And now with Fox effectively out of boxing, one network, uh, which is yours, to work with. What do you know about the direction PBC is taking and is planning on taking in the in the near future? Well, I, I think you can look at a lot of the schedule, which it's not exclusively PBC, but a lot of it is, and take a cue there. I mean, through the first six months of the year, we've got 14 live events on our, on our calendar. That's as busy a six-month period as I can recall since I've been here in the last 12 years. And that does not include, you know, possibly another fight or two being layered in in May, in June. So, look, I, I think they um, are going to remain active. You know, we're, we're going to have to pick up some of the slack. I think you're seeing a lot of good fights um, streaming, some big names and other places simply because, you know, there there isn't necessarily room for everybody. And, and that, I think, is going to... They're not necessarily force. It's going to result in some higher level fights. You know, you know. At, at this point, you know, the market is such that it it feels like there's a bit of a contraction going on a little bit. You know, at least back from where we were three or four years ago, where we had four and sometimes five different platforms really active in the U.S. in domestic U.S. boxing, and and that that is pulled back a little bit. And I think you know, with fewer outlets and to be spread across, I think, you know, some of these bigger fights are more likely to happen. Is that you have a multi-year contract with PBC. Is this the final year of that contract? No, we, uh, we extend beyond this year. Okay. Um, obviously this schedule shows a pretty strong commitment to boxing from Showtime. Everybody read about the restructuring over there. Paramount plus the emphasis more on streaming as everybody seems to be going in that direction. What, if any, impact will that restructuring have on showtime boxing um we've uh, you know so far you know there's nothing that we heard that changes any of our plans in fact we've been told and given the green light to continue doing what we've been doing and i think we've established ourselves as the market leader and that's the plan continuing going forward um you know obviously there's a lot going on in the media industry i think there's a larger correction um in sort of the content business generally as well as the, the greater make macroeconomic conditions. Um, so, you know, we're susceptible to that like everybody else. Um, the integration with Paramount, I think, is, is a real result of two things. One, um, you know, continuing the merger that was started two years ago. And, you know, probably more directly, a consolidation. I think we went from a, a period of time where everyone was really excited about streaming now there's a million apps out there and now i think it's going to start rebounding the other way so i think consolidating within paramount plus makes sense i think you know disney is probably the best example of being able to maintain several brands within one app um and that's the move that's being done and i think it's an it's an opportunity for for boxing as a sport and showtime boxing um because being packaged together you know side by side on the app um, and giving access to all the great sports audiences that are already on Paramount Plus and CBS, from NFL through soccer through NCAA tournament, I think that's a great marketing opportunity. I think you know we have an opportunity to better market the sport and maybe draw in some of that general sports audience. It won't surprise you, but I mean, in the last couple of months, I've heard from a number of different HBO people who said, wow, this reminds me of kind of what happened with us back in 2017 
in 2018. Do, do you see a, a difference, a specific difference in kind of what HBO went through that led to the elimination of boxing over there and the restructuring that you're going through now? Um, I, I could see how um, someone could draw that conclusion. I think the difference is, um, uh, I think what we saw at HBO was not really a sudden end. It, it seemed to be a little prolonged. So it sort of wound down over a period of two to three years. Um, that's that's not what we're experiencing you know, here. Um, I think you know, last year was one of our biggest years in terms of content spend, and this year is going to be bigger than that. So from that perspective, no, we're not really winding down. Um, who knows what the future of the media business is and you know all that, but that is... That's that's something that is there every day. But in terms of this company itself, we haven't seen anything that that hints to us that things are winding down. Do you think there's an obvious? I'm always fascinated by what is the future of boxing broadcasting? Like, where is it on what platform? Because, like, Showtime right now going through its its a restructuring. DAZN um, just had a price increase that was extremely significant. Uh, ESPN still putting on fights, but ESPN also has to pay the NBA in a couple of years. They have to pay UFC in a couple of years. I don't know how that's going to affect their boxing programming. Um, it just doesn't seem like I, you can point to something that absolutely positively works. Do you think there is something out there, a, a model that absolutely positively works that can be sustainable, that can be successful, that can you know be something boxing can can hold on to? I mean, it is a uh, it's a it's a really great question and, and a question that I, I think um, that the true boxing fans should be asking. Um, we know that there have been challenges with ad supported, purely ad supported boxing. And um, I think we can get a better job. We should do and can do a better job attracting sponsors to the sport. But that's one of the challenges. I, I think it's got to be a, a combination of a broad, potentially ad based platform as well as subscription, because I don't think either one by itself is is enough to to support the entire sport. Um, and I, I think you, you point out to another dynamic sort of implicitly, which is, you know, as all these other sports become exponentially more expensive at a time where there are economic pressures, um, you know, some of the niche sports you know, may be squeezed out. You know, and that that is a risk, not just for boxing, but from every, everything else. You know, the big sports rights are just continuing to explode in cost. Now, having said all of that, you know, we've been here for nearly 40 years and we weathered a lot of storms, a lot of transitions in the market. And I'd like to thank him. And we are confident, in fact, that we'll figure it out. You know, we'll figure it out. We figured out the transition to streaming. We're still a market leader. We'll continue to figure out and adjust as the market changes. Stephen, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, the showtime schedule, pretty strong all the way through June. And you've got a bunch of more fights to announce over the next couple of months. And um, Sergio and I have decided we're going to do a pirate broadcast in the parking lot of um, Garcia Davis. <laughs> no, I can we're, get you in the arena. I'm pretty gonna, sure I can handle that. No, no, we're going to do a post-fight interview with Sean Garcia afterwards. Okay. And, and we're going to do our own version with like a banner and a couple of folding chairs in the I, parking lot. I know lot. a guy, Gary Davis, that you could also interview if you'd like to do that. Are you? By the way, last thing. Are you? No venue's been announced yet. I mean, Vegas no. has a lot of different options out there. Is there one more likely than other at the moment as we tape this on March first? Um, I, I think we're probably looking at 
look, the, the, the sort of default is MGM, T-Mobile, and, and potentially Legion. Um, I would say just because of the size and demand of the fight, probably that would lean toward you know, clearly T-Mobile or Legion. Um, and we've had conversations with both. There are some challenges going to the football stadium as sort of novel and exciting as that would be. Um, but I, I think it comes down to one of those two venues. Yeah, everybody kind of wants that football stadium experience. I'll say this. I know it's cool kind of from a television perspective. Like, you remember those Cowboy Stadium fights? Like, they weren't very good. Like, people were watching the fight on the big screen and not, I mean, 55,000 is great. I mean, we just did. I was part of the one at AT&T Stadium, 76,000. But you're you're watching fights on a screen. You watch like you're on TV paying high price for beer sitting in your seat. Yeah, it you know there there are there are ups and downs and you know in the reality obviously you know once you get to the risers you're much further away from the ring than you would be if you were in the risers in your arena obviously so there there's some downsides um, you know and those are all the kinds of things that are being discussed um, everything from the the cost of being the arena some of the upgrades that would be necessary because look AT and T Stadium you've got the advantage of that huge center hung scoreboard. Allegiant doesn't have those. They just have end zone. So you you don't want to set up a scenario where everybody, you know, who's at the fight is constantly looking this way and that way, rather than, you know, at least you can with a center hung. Now there's obviously solutions, but that's those are the types of challenges that you encounter. Well, either way, it's gonna be a massive event. Uh two guys that that draw a big crowd and can I'll do an interview light. with you. You can always get me, Chris. I'll, I'll oh, go great. in the parking lot. You come to, to the tent. Come to the parking lot. I'll, I'll go uh, to the tent. Stephen Esmond, it's good to talk to you, man. All right, you too, Chris. When we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, boxing fans, if you are a UFC fan as well, John Jones, he returns to the Octagon this Saturday to face off against Cyril Gane with the heavyweight championship on the line. And FanDuel wants you to get in on the action. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Bet on who will win, how they will win, when the fight will end, and so much more. So don't miss out on your chance for a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when John Jones takes on Cyril Gane for the heavyweight title. Exclusively on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. All right, we got back to our winning ways last week here with the gambling picks, all courtesy of our friends over at FanDuel. Subriel Matias, in a short war, he beat Jeremiah Ponce. Uh, by knockout. Those are the two picks that I made last week. So hope you bet with me. Hope you made some money. And let's keep this train rolling into next week. This week, I am locked into the 126-pound division. You've got Brandon Figueroa moving up for 122 pounds, facing Mark Magsayo, a former title holder in this weight class. Magsayo, he lost last time out to Ray Vargas. Figueroa coming up from 122. Figueroa's the favorite. And I know what some of you might be thinking. Didn't we just get into a little bit of trouble picking a fighter moving up in weight against the guy that's more established? That's what happened a few weeks ago with Ray Vargas and Oshaki Foster. I just think this is a little bit different. I think Figueroa has the size and strength to compete at 126, where it's pretty clear Ray Vargas doesn't have that at 130. And I think Meg Sayo, even though he's a strong guy, you know, he faded kind of late against Gary Russell Jr. and I think he's vulnerable at this weight class. Figueroa is a minus 330 favorite, so not going to win a lot of money there, but I think that's a safe bet, Brandon Figueroa, to win. Where you can win some money is Figueroa by points or decision. That's at plus 145. Take Figueroa by points. He's got some pop, but I think at this weight class, Megsayo is going to be strong enough and have a good enough chin to go the distance with Brandon Figueroa. So, Those are my picks. Brandon Figueroa to win and Brandon Figueroa by points or decision. All these picks, of course, brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jake Donovan, Corey Erdman, and Steven Espinoza for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.